You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Amen. That is good for the blood pressure. There is something that turns Jacob's pillow into a pillar. You want to know what it is? It's God's great faithfulness that we just sang about. You see, Jacob has taken a a rock, a stone, and he's put it at his head and he's gone to sleep on it, which is exactly what you and I do with our anxieties as well. All day long, we have held them at bay. We have been able to maintain the veneer of control over our lives, but when we lay down and drop our head onto a pillow, it's from that place like bad exhaust fumes Fumes of anxiety come smoking into our dreams and we're filled with uh, our dreams are filled with all of that we fear. And so the same thing is happening to Jacob now as he's on the lamb. He finds that his anxieties will speak to him in his dreams as well. But not this night. This night he has a vision of something very, very different. I hope that God will give us that same vision as we read this text together. Would you open up to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17? You'll find that on page 22 of the Pew Bible. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. If you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you may say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. And in your offspring, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Just like us, Jacob knows life's anxieties. And here's my working definition of anxiety. It's wrestling with trouble that might never happen. Don't deny that you do it just like I do. We look into the future. We see some potential outcome 
no matter how remote, obscure, or unlikely, and we go, well, I don't want that to happen, and we start wrestling today. It's not wrestling with the present. That's called action. It's not wrestling with things that will happen. That's called planning. It's wrestling with things that may well never come to pass. Anxiety. When we find ourselves in that place, our anxiety will always put two questions into our dreams. The first question is, what if? We say, I I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, but George, what if? Well, I'm not terribly worried about, but what if? And then the other question is, what will you do about it? Well, I'm not so sure. Well, if I guess I had better dot, dot, dot. I had better do something today. I'd better change the course of my day. I'd better remedy the problem before it ever even occurs. And so it changes my life, the shape of my life. These two questions, what if and what will you do? And this is exactly the story of Jacob's life so far. We've gotten three little vignettes or windows into his life, and each of them seems to be windows in which Jacob is answering the question, what if and what will I do? What if your brother Esau is born before you? Heaven forbid. Well, I guess what I'll do is I'll grab his ankle. What if your brother Esau gets the firstborn privilege of wealth in the family? Well, well, what if I end up poor? What if I end up unimportant? Well, maybe I'll try to take advantage of his exhaustion and hunger and relative stupidity and trade him for a bowl of soup. Well, what if your father would bless Esau before he blesses you? What if he doesn't even bless you at all? Will you be bereft of a meaningful life without a future? What if? Well, I'd better do whatever I can do to make sure I get that blessing instead of Esau. And you know the story. And this is the force that's driving Jacob's whole life. It's really what his life turns out to be. It's mitigating risks that may never happen. It's amazing how much power our anxiety has over my life and ours. That's why I love the, the uh, party question that we oftentimes ask ourselves. If you, know, if you gather in your small group, ask this question next time you're, you're together. Or have friends over for dinner or maybe just at your, dinner, your family dinner table. Ask this question. What would you do in your life if you knew you could not fail? If you knew failure wasn't a possibility, what would you do? It's an interesting question. Well, what interests me is every time I've been in a group that's asked that question, how different the responses are than the actual lives we're leading and even trying to lead. You come up with these amazing things. Well, if I knew I wouldn't fail, I'd do this, I'd do that. You know, this, this is what. And and you go, so our lives are so influenced by the fear of failure that they look nothing like the dreams we would have. This is what's happening to Jacob. And this incident now in his life is one in which God asks him, so how's it working for you so far, Jacob? Because Jacob's a highly successful person so far. Everything he's tried to grab at, he's got. uh, And uh, he, like we, are high performance people. And oftentimes anxiety is a risk that comes along. So it's an occupational hazard of being a competent person. But how's it going for you so far, Jacob? He's on the run. Because you remember his brother Esau has gotten so hacked off at Jacob. 
the hunter now has decided no longer to hunt the game of the field, but to hunt his twin. He says, I'm going to murder that man if it's the last thing I ever do. Mother Rebecca gets wind of this, tells Jacob, you better get out of here fast, concocts an alibi. Well, let's send him to Mesopotamia, back to Haran to get a wife. The timing is perfect. And he's out the door. And now he's on the run. Haran would be 400 miles away from Beersheba. A a 20-day journey, long days of trekking alone uh, through the wilderness. And here he goes. He's hardly blessed. He's fearing for his life. He's leaving the quiet, settled life that is his nature, the life of the tents. He's leaving the only person who's ever loved him, his mother, Rebecca. And we find out he will never see her alive again. How's it going, Jacob? How you doing with the troubles that you wrestle with in the night? And now he finds himself as the sun is dropping in a place cold and harsh and there is no hospitality the ground is hard and he lays upon it and he's got nothing nothing but a rock so he takes from the stone of that place the writer tells us it doesn't actually tell us he used it as a pillow could have it tells us he took from the stone of that place and placed it at his head Some scholars think he may have arranged it sort of in a horseshoe to create a little mini wall around his head as a hedge against some unknown predator in the night. Or maybe he sets the stone at his head because what if an enemy were to come and I would need some kind of a weapon and I could fight with this rock? What if? Just as he asks that question, he lays his head down and drifts off to sleep. And then there's a dream. Then there's a dream, but it's a dream that does not ask him the usual two questions. It's a dream filled with exclamations for as the narrator presents this dream to us, he draws us into Jacob's perspective. He wants us to see this vision through Jacob's eyes so that when Jacob's perspective is changed, ours will as well. He he tells us three times in an untranslated interjection, look, exclamation point. Look, and then look, the writer says. Jacob is just with wonder beholding what he sees in this dream. Because it's the thing that changes everything for him and for us. What is it that Jacob sees? Two things. First, he receives a vision of God in this place. And second, he receives a promise of God's future for him. First, he, sees, he receives a vision of God in this place. And you know the story of Jacob's ladder. It's a ladder. It could be translated ladder. It could also be translated stairway or ramp. Because in the ancient world, in the Near East, Mesopotamia in particular, temples were built as ziggurats, like giant pyramids with the sort of stair-step architecture. And down the front would run a, a, a massive ramp or stairway. And the reason this was done is because in ancient cosmology, it was understood that God had location, that he was above the firmament, that blue thing, the expanse we call the sky. It must hold back the waters of the rain and above that somewhere God lives. And so if we could only get closer to God, uh, we'd be better off. So we build these temples. And this is exactly what uh, the story of Babel is all about. 
not just to get closer to God, to worship God, but to literally storm the gates of heaven. The Tower of Babel is a siege ramp. And, and, uh, and yet, and in fact, the word Babel and Babylon most likely refers to the gate of God. So the gate of God was up above because God's house was up above. But Jacob gets this amazing vision. What does he see? He sees a ladder that joins heaven and earth. And the gate of God is not uh, above. The gate of heaven is not above. It's at the foot of the ladder. It's in this place, the gate of heaven. And the house of God is not in uh, the sky above Hashemayim, the heavens. The house of God is in this place. And he hears the voice of the Lord say, Jacob, I am with you. I am here in the midst of your anxiety. He sees a vision of God in this place. And the other thing he sees, he receives a promise for his future from this place. One of the reasons why we don't always translate this ladder is because it's hard to imagine angels uh, coming up and down a ladder at the same time. I don't know if you've ever tried that. It doesn't work real well. It's easier to, to envision that there's a, a staircase. But the thing that the rabbis notice that we don't want to miss either is that the angels, are we t- we're told, are first ascending before they're descending. They're ascending and descending. Jacob sees they're going up before they go down. It's like this kind of an angelic shift change going on. So what this means is that they've already been with Jacob. They've already been in the narrative of his life. They've been with him all along doing their angel business, conveying the messages of God, the messages of heaven into his circumstances. And now they're going off duty and a fresh batch is coming down. These may be the Canaan angels, you know, and as he hits the border, now the Mesopotamian angels are coming out to go with him for that. We don't know. But what it means is there's another agent at work in Jacob's life besides himself. And this whole question of what will you do begins to melt away when he realizes somebody else is doing. And, of course, this sense is confirmed when the Lord himself speaks to Jacob a word of promise. He gets the promise that the patriarchs had gotten, the Abrahamic promise, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you and your offspring. But he gets a personal promise as well. And God has something for each of us. Not generic, but very immediate. Notice verse 15. The Lord says, Know that I am with you and will keep you or guard you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until, notice this, I have done what I have promised you. No, it's not what you will do, Jacob, with your troubles. It's what I will do, Jacob, with your troubles for you and for all of the earth that matters. He's got a vision of God's presence with him and a promise for our future right here. And, of course, this is not just an experience for Jacob. This is an experience for every one of us. Because this experience points forward to Jesus Christ. Jesus tells his disciples that when he first gathers them. Nathaniel's overwhelmed Jesus. He seems to know something that he shouldn't know. And Jesus says, Nathaniel, this is nothing. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. John 1, 51. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of this dream and it is for you as well. In Jesus, God has spoken perfectly. 
He has spoken to us for himself. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, he is with us. In Jesus, we get a perfect vision of God with us. In Jesus, we get a vision of one who promises us a future. He is the good shepherd out of whose hand no one can snatch us. He is the one who even turns the adversity of our life. He says, uh, uh, God will take everything in your life and bring good out of it when you're called according to his purpose. First Peter, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. He is the one who has a plan for your life and for mine. No, it's not the rock that provokes this dream. It's Jesus. Jesus speaks to Jacob. And then the vision is gone. And then Jacob wakes up. The night is still dark, but he can't go back to sleep. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place. Reading this historically, we understand the significance. This is Bethel, house of God. He will name it that way. But the writer is careful to not use its name, but to say this place, this place, a certain place, because the place where God meets Jacob is not simply a piece of real estate. It's the place of anxiety in his life. God has chosen to meet Jacob in the midst of his troubles. This is the place, precisely the place where God meets us as well. And he says, I'm going to take this pillow and I'm going to turn it into a pillar. He lathers it with a little oil that he has in his pocket. He turns it up and he says, now this is a sacred place because it's right when I thought that I had to be in control of my life, that I had a vision of God telling me, no, I am with you. I will never leave you. You can trust me. So Jesus turns our anxiety into worship. He doesn't ask us what if and what will you do? But now he says, do you see me beside you? Do you hear my promise? If you want to be briefer than that, imagine this. And what next? In the midst of your anxieties, Jesus is saying to you, imagine this. I am with you. And you know what? You're not the one who shows me what's next. I'm the one who wants to show you what's next. We've got a great adventure together. We're freed now from the power of anxiety to worship. And this is what Jacob does. He's coming to faith for the very first time. He prays. He addresses God directly for the very first time. He says, hey, whatever I've got, whatever you give me, I'm going to give you a tenth of it, he says. He's talking about tithing. Why? Because he's been freed now. He doesn't have to grab stuff. God's got a hold of him and he can let stuff go. You and I can put oil on our stones. We may sit in front of a stack of bills. We may sit in front of an application to a college or a grant. We may sit in front of somebody with whom we fear there is great misunderstanding. We may sit on an examining table or in a waiting room and wring our hands. But if we can see Jesus Christ, if we can see this vision, if this be our dream, we can say, even in this place, Surely the Lord is in this place. All our places of anxiety can also be places that are sacred and that call us deeper into worship. Let's pray. We come troubled before you, Jesus. We come anxious. 
but we also come this morning to submit our letter of resignation and to say we no longer need to be the CEO of the universe. We come to offer you our lives, to trust that you love us more than we could love ourselves, that you are with us through thick and thin, and that you have a plan for our future to bless us. Even when our adversity, our challenges do not go away as they will not go away for Jacob, yet we know your peace. And so we worship, giving thanks. Take these tithes and offerings and may they be to us like they were to Jacob, just an expression now of our freedom and a delight and a joy to give. And may they go wherever they go in Jesus' name to be a blessing to others. We pray it in his name and for his sake. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.